It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. As a great man once said, football, bloody hell. And uh, yes, Lionel Messi has lifted the World Cup. Argentina are three-time champions of the world after perhaps the greatest World Cup final in living memory, if not forever. 3-3 was the scoreline and a third penalty shootout to determine a world champion. So, Emmy Martinez, the hero, and Montiel, the final goal scorer. We've got that, and we've got a whole bunch more covering the third, fourth place playoff and some awards to dish out. Let's get stuck in. So yeah, you're all right. So thank you very much for following this podcast and all of our World Cup content throughout the month, the hectic month that was Qatar 2022 and its illustrious World Cup. We've had, maybe not as Gianni Infantino said, the greatest World Cup, certainly the greatest final um, and somewhat of a very entertaining World Cup. In the process, we broke the World Cup scoring record by the one, thanks to Kylian Mbappe's penalty. And of course, we have been right the way through it with our World Cup Daily Podcast, with the World Cup Great Games Podcast over on Patreon. They're all still available. They'll be available in perpetuity for you. One pound a month. Patreon.com forward slash what if football. That is our final plug of this 33 episode saga that we call the uh, the 2022 World Cup 
daily podcast. Um, yes, we've got we've got a, a football manager mini series regarding Gareth Southgate. The news that he has retained his uh, England job for the next two years. But the main story, of course, is for now France three, Argentina three, four two on penalties. And where to start? <laughs> <laughs> ridiculous, ridiculous final, ridiculous game, end-to-end, Sunday League football. Um, right, let's start with the team news, shall we? It seems the most sensible place to start. Uh, Dio Pumacano and Adrian Rabio returned from illness. Of course, a, a vague virus sweeping its way through the French camp. And for the first 18 minutes, it certainly showed um, that that was the case. And perhaps that was the reason for, um, we'll get into why and maybe why not that was the case Um later on when we conclude here. Uh, meanwhile, for Argentina, Leandro Paredes lost his place. Angel Di Maria moved back into the Argentine team and it was a move away from a 4-4-2 and more so a 4-3-3, although you do do have the feeling really with uh, Rodrigo de Paul in his right central midfield, right midfield role, he can be fairly um, hybrid there. So to Angel Di Maria, a bit of a workhorse. And in the shadow of Lionel Messi, a, an unsung hero, of course, Argentina won the Copa America with his winning goal. He was a huge proponent of them getting to the 2014 final alongside Messi, one of the few survivors. I think the only two survivors from that run to the final World Cup final that Argentina had eight years ago. And of course, he scored here again today. And for all intents and purposes, one of the better performances in um, not only an Argentine shirt, but of course throughout the entire final here today. So who won the day, Messi or Mbappe? Which is it's a lot harder to call. Obviously, Messi ends up with a trophy. Um, but on an individual level, of course, Mbappe scored three, becoming only the second person in history, in World Cup history. This is where we get our England plug-in, of course. <laughs> Uh, since Jeff Hurst has scored a hat-trick in a World Cup final, of course, Jeff Hurst won the World Cup there. Mbappe didn't here. Um, of course, Mbappe wins the trophy, but individually, um, it's it's hard to say because Messi, I think, has been very vacant uh, and then obviously bursts into life at his effervescent best. And I think he's been performing at, at levels that we've not seen of him since pre-COVID. I think he's been incredible this tournament, but... Um, of course, the walking distance. I think that is that, that helps. It aids his longevity. And if it is to do so, then keep walking, keep walking, and then burst into life when he needs to do that. Um, here, Mbappe was even worse in terms of his walking and his vacancy in the entire game. Of course, Messi was probably as involved as he had been in, for the most part, for a, a game at this World Cup than he has ever been for the previous six. He was uh, dropping into spaces as we often tend to to think he will do centrally of course he's he's down as a right winger he's never a right winger in this game in a million years he's um drifting back to join that midfield and the the argentine midfield was all over all over the french one and that is for me why um really argentina should have closed this game out and won one of the more tepid world cup finals that we've ever seen most one-sided world cup finals we had uh, we had ever seen he scores the penalty of course in the 23rd minute it, f to be fair it took about seven replays to, to see that that was a penalty obviously the kick on the back of uh, Di Maria's trailing leg onto his his front leg which it didn't seem obvious. It seemed very, very um, soft to begin with. But once you see that slowed down replay, the little clip, um, yes, certainly a penalty. Messi scores the first of 
<laughs> first of two penalties. Of course, Mbappé would uh, go one further there, of course, including the shootouts. And he was absolutely everywhere. As soon as that goal went in, in uh, Messi started to uh, enjoy himself a little bit more. The shackles were off, all the angst around that surrounds every player, I think, going into a World Cup final. Um, youthful fearlessness or not, um, Messi was um, enjoying himself a big part in the second goal, of course, with that intricate little flick, as he has done with a couple of goals. Um, if he's not been directly involved, he's always got that little flick to turn things around in the um, in, in on the halfway line on the transition for for Argentina. There, I did feel as a Diopo Meccano had some good moments up against him, one versus one though. Adrian Rabiot put in a fantastic tackle late on in the game, which which really should have been. Um, Messi's crowning glory towards the end of, I think it was normal time. Um, if not, it was very, very uh, early on into extra time. Uh, meanwhile, I think, um, I don't think Lionel Messi was the better, best performer by any means in a, in an Argentine shirt. Rodrigo de Paul, even though he frustrates me from a neutral standpoint and all his play acting and all uh, all this, is one of those players where if he plays for your club, you absolutely love him. But if you come up against him as an absolute prick, to put it bluntly, and he obviously won't mind anybody saying that, he's one of his facets of his game which I think he does very very well um, and he was persistent against Mbappe he was, he was horrible to play against he broke up play when Argentina needed to in the second half and I felt he was fantastic um, fought Mbappe very well um, unfortunately up until a certain point for a uh, from a from a from an Argentine point of view, anyway, um, Mbappe was on a, very much on the not even on the periphery. He was nowhere in this game. He did look sharp for a given go, which never really came to uh, fruition. Uh, he had one real look at things in the final third there, and then he had he blazed a shot over seventieth um, minute, um, and up until the penalty that um, France win to uh, get back into the game. France didn't have a shot on target. I think they had one shot and it was Mbappe blazing over from distance. Um, I felt Rabiot wasn't as useful as he potentially could have been. Um, of course, I think the, uh, the the virus did play its part on certain players. Varane was clearly affected and he, he, just, he just seemed to collapse off the pit off the pitch um, in extra time he'd given absolutely everything again he was absolutely insanely good in this game and um, Rabiot feels though he has got a, certainly got a spot in this team of being that sort of almost a DePaul figure of um, of France where he's sort of like a, a wider central midfielder that can essentially look after Mbappe and, and make sure that um, yeah he's not going to track back but Rabiot can be the, the so-called water carrier of this Deschamps team really um, but unfortunately Unfortunately, uh, he just didn't have enough in the tank. And fair enough, he's coming back from uh, quite debilitating um, virus. So there's, there's a good excuse for that one. In terms of the whole team, I don't think they can uh, share similar excuses. And of course, Mbappe, yeah, very, very vacant, not even on the periphery. He was nowhere and um, naturally just scores two goals out of nowhere. <laughs> and uh, Argentina had, had had that before in this tournament. And uh, they've always got that capacity to just crumble and have a switch I felt as though Lionel Scaloni if he, if he made one mistake in this game it wasn't going to that back three that back five sooner um, of course we'd seen it in numerous games he started with it of course with the Netherlands um, in all throughout this knockout phase he's gone to that well to shore things up um, of course didn't work against the Dutch because they just played long ball um, France didn't do that they just again a moments team and it looked as though moments football was going to get them this World Cup trophy again um, 
it was a, a ball down the channel. Colomuani wins the penalty. Fantastic winning of a penalty. Mbappe converts it. And then it's a bolt from the blue, again, coming down that left-hand side for France and just first touch volley into the corner. I felt maybe Martinez could have done a bit better. Maybe I'm being a bit harsh on him there. Um, but again, in the space of, I think that was about less than a minute, France have gone from being one of the worst performing World Cup final teams I've ever seen, perhaps in history, to then being, right, they could turn this around in the final 10 minutes. That would have been, as drama goes, it, it, I felt going into the, the final 30 minutes, we'd see something a bit like the Dutch against the Argentines in the quarterfinal, where things are simmering along and uh, you may get the odd chance or two and uh, maybe it just peters out into penalties, but it was drama intensely right down to the wire. And um, I felt as though in the, going into the final five minutes as though the only thing that could make this any more dramatic would be a French goal. And of course, you got Lionel Messi winding up from distance from, from 25 yards in the 97th minute, which which would have been, I think if this was a Hollywood movie, that goes in, <laughs> that goes in top corner. And um, people, maybe uh, Guy Mowbray on commentary, would have been screaming, you can't write scripts like that and all those uh, cliches that go with it. Uh, but regardless, it, for, for one man, it wasn't his game, Antoine Griezmann, much like the rest of the French midfield. We were all expecting, or at least everyone was on 10 tucks to see what Griezmann could do. It wasn't his game. Um, and essentially that two-goal turnaround in the last 10 minutes came when he was subbed off. It felt as though it was quite, a, quite kind of a surprising substitution. But you've got to say Deschamps' sub substitutions paid off really all in the end. Obviously, of course, they, they do not go on to win the World Cup. But every... Every substitution he made made the team better. Now, of course, the, the, he made some drastic substitutions before the half as if to send a clear message to the French team. And it didn't really seem to have impacted them until maybe the 70th, 75th minute when they were um, pushing forward a bit more, winning the ball a bit further further up. Um, they played more so in a 4-5-1 mid-block as opposed to a 4-4-2, which they have been playing throughout this, throughout this tournament. And I felt it was really... Alexis McAllister, who was controlling this game, he was breaking the lines very well, working with Lionel Messi, as he has done all tournament, absolutely brilliantly. Argentina, he was the main, main facilitator for Argentina, starting very brightly. France looked incredibly nervous. It looked as though a team that had been struggling in their um, preparation for the... Uh, for the final. The midfield was non-existent. They were consistently outplayed. And um, Teo Hernandez looked incredibly nervous. Um, he was very wasteful with the ball in his own half. He did look all right going forward, which if you're going to say anything about Teo Hernandez, his strength is in going forward. He plays more of a wing back. He's been asked to play in a 4-4, four, four, a 4-3-3 four, three, three here, a 4-2-3-1, whatever you want to call it. But I think probably the shining light in this game for me was Angel Di Maria. He's used far wide on the left and uh, receiving diagonals like you wouldn't believe for the, for the majority of the game. And even though that was the side where Jules Kunde was the more defensive of the fullback, and I, I always felt that with Messi on the right-hand side and Mbappe on the same flank and the fullbacks and how they tended to get forward, Molina for Argentina and Theo Hernandez, I felt as though everything would go through that, that channel. But for Argentina... That left-hand side was equally as dangerous, probably a bit more so, because Di Maria, it looked as though he was he benefited from that couple of games break. We all thought he might come on in, the, might come to the four in the semi-final, maybe even the quarter-final, but uh, 
He rested for the final. Of course, a couple of injuries played a part there, but he was fantastic. He had Usman Dembele's number, drew a foul, as we mentioned earlier, for the penalty and completed a beautiful sweeping move for the counter. That was one of the goals of the tournament. Consider a team goal with that quality, the one touch throughout the entirety of it and um, a lovely bobbled finish, which is entirely on purpose as well, because if he just side foots that, skims it across the ground, Laurie saves it, he bobbles it up. We see that with Meza Ozil time and time again, or did see it with Meza Ozil time and time again. And like I mentioned earlier, Rodrigo de Paul was incredible, playing that beautiful, um, beautiful role of that de- defensive wide midfield role to an absolute T and uh, a large component in when Argentina looked to slow it down. I felt as though they did probably look to slow it down a bit too early. They were they were time-wasting the 52nd minute, which was uh, maybe a little bit drastic. Um, yes, there's always the uh, the criticism where you tune it up, just keep playing how you're playing. Um, and of course, you, you do leave yourself, the theory is you leave yourself open at the back, but France offered very, very, very little, um, to the point where Usman Dembele and Olivier Giroud, um, Giroud apparently suffering from a knee injury, um, also the virus would have affected him, I'm sure. Um, but those were brought off before halftime as if to make a statement to um, to France. And they, they started, the, well, the end of the first half, how they ended the uh, the semi-final with Mbappe moved centrally, Marcus Turam on the left, Kolo Muani on the, uh, on the right, and yeah, just infinitely better, better positioned Mbappe centrally, doesn't have to press, doesn't have to do any work tracking back to Raman Kulomuani. They were far more dynamic out wide than Dembele and Mbappe were. The midfield was still as flaky as ever, I felt, for France. Um, They still weren't creating any chances in the early parts of the second half, still didn't create much of any. I don't think they had one shot. Yes, they had a couple of chances which were later ruled for a foul or offside from a set piece, but from open play and ones that would actually count towards the statistics, Mbappe's blazing shot in the 70th minute was France's first shot. His penalty in the 80th minute was their first shot on target, I think. I'm pretty sure on that one. Um, yeah, and they did grow into the game, France, but I think it was more so Argentina allowed them to grow into the game. They were happy with the two-goal lead. Um, you thought, okay, they, they did something similar against the Dutch. I don't think France were ever going to go route one <laughs> to, the same, to the same extent that the Dutch did without Vegas coming on that not as uh, quote-unquote pragmatic as uh, Louis van Gaal. Um, but they, they, didn't, they never felt as, as though they were in danger and it only takes one moment like that to turn a tide and, of course, Kulomuani breaking, getting the better of Nicolas Otamendi and winning the penalty. And then from then on in 10 minutes, a um, just a, a showdown then. And, of course, it only takes less than 60 seconds for Mbappe to double his lead. And then suddenly Mbappe has gone from not only losing the World Cup but also the golden boot. So then being golden boot winner, taking France single-handedly feels into uh, into extra time. And of course, it, it did have some resonance with the uh, the quarterfinal against the Dutch. But extra time, it did feel like a reset. Um, France, of course, you've got to feel going into that extra 30 minutes as though they would have the momentum, they would have the psychological advantage. France hadn't been... Under this Didier Deschamps team, they hadn't had the taste of extra time, certainly in a World Cup. Of course, you can uh, point to Switzerland and um, 
Portugal in the 2016 European Championships, Switzerland in the 2020 European Championships. They won um, zero of those games. They lost one in extra time, of course, the final of the Euros. Uh, six years ago, they lost one on penalties as well. Um, Argentina, of course, the quarterfinal had experience under eerily similar circumstances. And really, you're going to feel as though they've got to have learned from that. They've got to have um, learned and maybe they'll bounce back from this. Uh, France were buoyant, it felt. They were winning the ball up a lo- up the pitch a lot better. They added fresher legs, both wide and centrally. I felt uh, Kingsley Coman was excellent, of course, in the in the open play. Of course, he missed the penalty in the shootout. Edouard Camavinga, I felt, was brilliant. For his little cameo, I felt he was absolutely excellent in, in a, a role at left-back. I think he played left-back once in his life, and I think that was against Tunisia in uh, sort of like a patchwork um, 11 that Deschamps put out for that final game. And uh, Camavinga was brilliant. He made a couple of tackles on uh, on Messi, which were just stunning, really, and got his team up the pitch in uh, in moments where they definitely, desperately needed it. Um, but it was it was the introduction of Lautaro Martinez, of course, the winner of the quarterfinal from the spots. It was his introduction that gave Argentina something else. Now, of course, bringing Julian Alvarez into the team and that evolution from Argentina has been the reason why they've got to this point, but... Julian Alvarez, I felt, was running on a bit, running on fumes a bit. He was pretty vacant from the second half onwards, and uh, Lautaro added something definitely. He had, uh, he had two big, two of the biggest chances in extra time in the first half, and his brilliant holding of the run. I felt f- for ages as though that third goal was going to get chalked out for uh, offside by VAR. It was stunning, brilliantly well timed um, run to, of course. He, gets thwarted by the goalkeeper and then Lionel Messi tucks it home, which again would have been, albeit a scrappy way to win the World Cup, but it felt picturesque. Lionel Messi, Hollywood ending, scores the winning goal in scenes quite similar to 1986. And uh, Diego Maradona, when they went 2-0 up, they got pegged back by them pesky Europeans 2-2 and then their star man had a hand in the fifth and final goal of proceedings uh, with Diego Maradona sending uh, his teammate through on goal for the winner. Here it was Lionel Messi himself, the superstar, scoring. Um, not really with the aid of goal line technology, since it was fairly obvious that it went over the line. And then by the end of the game, it was just defying all analysis. Of course, France having thrown so many bodies forward in normal time, they had to keep that balance, really. And um, Mbappe wins a penalty from pretty much nothing, really. He's curling one. It's to be fair, he's going on target appears to be anyway, and it just strikes an, it strikes an arm. Confusion for a couple of seconds, referee points to the spot, and Mbappe for the second time against, in my opinion, the best shot stopper from penalty situations in the World Cup, maybe in the world as well. Um, he was uh, gets a big hand to it, and uh, yes, uh, Mbappe scores his uh, second penalty of the game, one to come, of course, since this was two minutes left on the clock here. <laughs> And by this point, there was still time for the game to turn a bit Sunday league on as it was end to end. This was not, this felt like, it felt soccer ready at times. It was really strange. The fact that this was a World Cup final, this was supposed to be the best two teams in the World Cup and it was just 120 minutes end to end. We've been conditioned to think that World Cup final should be KG, it should be 1-0, it should be 0-0 and, and dour, dour football to go with it. But this was just 
pure football, especially with chances missed at both ends. Lautaro Martinez skews ahead of wide, he just doesn't time it properly. Colo Muani misses one at the at the other end as well, and those were both in the same face of play. I think it was uh, breathtaking. And the drama aside, of course, of how the, the sequence of goals went in, the times of the goals, um, that's dramatic enough on its own. But to have that as your like stoppage time at the end of the second half of extra time, not even normal time, extra time, and, of course, it devolved into Emi Martinez heroics with a few dark arts thrown in for good measure. I'm quite surprised that he uh, was allowed to get away with it for so long. Of course, he throws in a couple of dance moves, as he tends to do. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, brilliant to see. My personal preference to win it was France, um, but you can't. You cannot begrudge Argentina to have won this. I think on the balance of the entire tournament, you've got to feel as though... Argentina deserve this more than France. They've adapted. Of course, France have massively adapted to in the adversity of the injuries and the viruses that have been sweeping through the team. Um, they've had to adapt to, and they've done so well. Um, Argentina have tactically been incredibly astute. We've all, well, people have lambasted Lionel Scaloni, Diego Maradona, of course, when he was uh, still alive, um, said he couldn't direct traffic. Lionel Scaloni, the youngest manager at this tournament, but tactically astute, just goes to show that you don't need to be an elite manager. You don't need to have that vast club experience. You just need a bit of team spirit and some tactical now. And of course, it helps when you've got Lionel Messi in there as well, doesn't it? So sprinkling a stardust there. And they had the perfect concoction here. And in the final, Argentina looked hungrier. France were lethargic for most of the game. It would be easy to blame the virus for that first half performance. But I would prefer to look at things tactically and praise Argentina because they had them all sewn up. In the midfield, they were playing four versus three at times. Um, Griezmann wasn't able to be as impactful as he was against Morocco, as he was against England. And Lionel Messi just adding a bit of numbers in there. It's, it's always nice when you've got um, a midfield outnumbering and then you've one of your outnumbered players is Lionel Messi. And yeah, it was just, uh, it was brilliant. The midfield was where it appeared to have been won from Argentina. Um, of course, the 1986 omens said 2-0, then 2-2, then back to 3-2 for Argentina. But of course... A very different win than from um, than from 1986, and and so to 1978. It was another three goals scored by Argentina in a World Cup final. Um, when they've won it, that's the third time they've won it, and they've scored three goals in every final. And this was the second one to go to extra time. And Argentina joined the likes of West Germany in their class of the 70s, 1972 and 1974, and winning back to back trophies, the Euros and then the World Cup, France, of course, 1998 and 2000, World Cup and Euros, Brazil, 2002, 2004, and the World Cup and Copa America, and Spain, 2008, 2010, and of course, they added the, the Euros on for good measure two years after that, and of course, France emulated Brazil of 94 and 98, and of course, Argentina, 86 88, and uh, 1990 as well, by winning one, then going on to uh, lose the following, and penalties is always a very, very harsh way to to um, way to seal any match, much less the uh, the World Cup final, and in a game where I was pretty uh, reticent to call it Messi versus Mbappe, really, yes, it was a big deal to do with uh, both of those players. Yeah, Mbappe, of course, scores all three goals for France when France needed needed inspiration from somewhere, something that you'd more attribute with latter-day Lionel Messi stuff. But here, Messi was... 
ubiquitous in this contest. He was absolutely everywhere, and he saw to a lot of Argentina's good things. But he wasn't the only great player for um, for Argentina. France's ensemble cast of good players and good performances largely came from the bench, which is, you know, it goes to show how well Didier Deschamps has um, has done great things with his team, the longevity of it as well, and it. Close the curtain on what has been not quite the best World Cup ever, but uh, certainly one of the better ones than uh, maybe edges it ahead of Germany 2006, South Africa 2010, certainly. Uh, maybe Japan, South Korea 2002, probably on a par with that. But uh, yeah, it, the final was the best one I've ever seen. Maybe the best final full stop I've ever seen. Really, um, certainly the best World Cup final I've um, had the privilege to have watched. Um, but that wasn't the, uh, the the final game we're going to cover in this World Cup Daily podcast because the third, fourth place playoff was uh, a couple of days ago. And, and uh, being the completest, I thought we'd uh, have a little peek at that and then uh, dish out some awards. Now I'm recording this in the midst of the uh, trophy lift and all the awards handed out to the best young player, the, the golden ball, the, the best goalkeeper, whatever. Uh, so I don't necessarily, I'm not uh, tarred by the <laughs> by the fact that I I know who's won that, I don't. Um, I've got a pretty good idea. It'd probably be a clean, clean sweep for Argentina because that's what FIFA do. They tend to do anyway, don't they? Uh, but after this short break, we'll take a look at Croatia versus Morocco in the third, fourth playoff and we'll give out some awards like the biggest underachievers, biggest overachievers, best match, best goal, golden ball and best young player. As well. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Well, stick around. Welcome back. So Croatia to Morocco won from the Khalifa International Stadium and it was the seventh World Cup group reunion in history and Croatia essentially took four points from two meetings here in 1954 we saw Hungary and West Germany battle it out twice Hungary thrashing uh, 
their opponents 8-3 in the first game and losing in the final. Brazil and Czechoslovakia couldn't be split in 1962 in the groups, but of course, Garincha and Vava were the heroes and uh, they won 3-1 in the final. And the last four, well, five if you include this one just gone, that we have seen group contests between the likes of Poland and Italy, Brazil and Sweden, Brazil and Turkey and England and Belgium from 82, 94, 2002 and 2018 all be replicated either in the semi-finals or the third, fourth place playoff, as was the case with England and Belgium. And um, in the last two instances, Brazil versus Turkey, England versus Belgium, it's been a clean sweep for both Brazil and Belgium, respectively. Here it was, Croatia taking bronze. And in terms of something com- different, different, something com- different compared to last time, had a bit of a uh, meltdown then, didn't I? Um, we did get an exciting match, a bit more of an exciting match, not too much deviation. Um, really tactically, Croatia was still good in the build-up, still very poor in the final third. Morocco, of course, still defensively brilliant, although their heads did go a little bit, which did go to show alongside the uh, Croatians running onto the pitch celebrating um, that this match did mean did mean quite a lot. Of course, to two um, so-called lesser nations, it means anything. Any World Cup game means absolutely everything. It was just a, a big shame that it didn't go the extra 30 minutes, but as we mentioned uh, in the preview, these games don't really tend to do the only the only uh, third, fourth place playoff that's gone to extra time was France versus Belgium in 1986. Both Croatian goals were stunning for the ingenuity of the first one with Vadiol getting his deserved goal, really, because he's been brilliant. And um, Mislav Orsic, <laughs> beautiful curler, absolutely beautiful, just slow motion. And uh, Croatia... Probably rightful winners on the basis of this game. It would have been nice to see Morocco snatch third and win bronze. But uh, as it goes, uh, they can obviously hold their heads well and truly high. So we're going to round this podcast off with a couple of uh, awards. So we've got the biggest underachievers. Now this is pretty self-explanatory teams that you would have thought went further in the tournament than what they actually did. And we've got five, um, well, it's pretty cut and dry here, five group stage exits Belgium, Germany, Denmark, Uruguay, Mexico. Now, I don't think Belgium underachieved to the extent of the other four, if I'm being honest. But maybe Mexico probably underachieved a bit more than them because it was a tough group, as we've seen. We've just been talking about two of their group F buddies in Croatia and Morocco who uh, managed to take points off them. Morocco, of course, beat them. So it goes to show that their group was pretty tough. Obviously, Chuck Canada in there, regardless of their zero points. And um, and chuck in a manager who had been there for a long time, chuck in a team that had been together for a long time and were very old. If you were going to guess at a team that would fall from grace in this tournament, yeah, Belgium would probably be at the top of your list. So I don't think it's... I don't think it's fair to call them the biggest underachievers. Denmark, after European Championship 2020, yes, they had a... Huge expectations. Christian Eriksen coming back into the fold as well added a little bit of gloss to the team um, to the point where people were saying these aren't dark horses. These are actual contenders to win the World Cup. Now, obviously, that seems silly now given their troubles in front of goal, the fact they only got one point. And whilst they, I don't think they are as um, reputable as some of the other names on this list, Belgium, Germany and Uruguay, um, I I feel it very harsh to call them the uh, biggest underachievers as well. Uh, Mexico too, purely because there was that pessimism going in for Tata Martino and it was a 50-50 game with Poland, which they just froze at nil-nil and... uh, 
unfortunately paid the price, didn't they? Um, for me, it's got to be Germany. Um, Uruguay personnel, the the Arisqueta should have been picked from the off, in my opinion, and Uruguay would have got through quite handsomely in what was one of the weaker groups, really, in my opinion. Um, Germany, yeah, it was a tough group with Japan, with Spain, but um, they had more than enough to get through that. Yes, they suffered from the same fate as Denmark, as um, in front of goal, they weren't too great. Yes, they had the biggest XG, which probably goes to show they weren't great in front of goal. I think they probably still have the biggest XG throughout the entire tournament now, and they only played three games, while some have played seven. So it's got to go to Germany. And in terms of biggest overachievers, well, it's obvious, isn't it? Morocco. I feel as though Saudi Arabia, although they got knocked out of the groups, they have to be considered the biggest overachievers. They've just beaten the world champions four weeks prior, haven't they? So that is an incredible achievement, still an incredible achievement. Japan, of course, went one better by beating Spain and Germany. Unfortunately, couldn't go as far as Croatia, which... Croatia getting to the semi-finals shouldn't seem like much of a shock now, but I'm still going to lump them in with the overachievers and Australia too. But for me, it has to be, has to be Morocco. So golden ball and best young player. So um, these are two awards which will have been given out um, by the time this goes out, probably by the time I'm recording this, but um, I've not checked um, so as not to taint my um, overall sort of opinion of them in terms of golden ball Mbappe Messi they will be the highlights they will be the two that everybody's you know sort of jostling for in terms of me I would go for more so Antoine Griezmann or Sofian Amrabat now if I was going to pick one purely because he controlled games rather than was reactive I'm going to pick Griezmann over Amrabat just though just uh, maybe it's the fact they got to the final as opposed to the semi-final. Griezmann was fantastic defensively just as he was going forward in that semi-final. He was the difference maker in the quarter-final against England too. So Griezmann would win my best player of the tournament. Best young player of the tournament, five I've got here. I've got Bellingham, Fernand- Enzo Fernandez, Aurelien Chouamene, Julian Alvarez and Josko Vardiol. Now, of course, Alvarez scored an incredible amount of goals and he was one of the big catalysts for Argentina's evolution, moving away from more established names like Lautaro Martinez and even to an extent Angel Di Maria as uh, Alexis McAllister played a a pretty prominent role in getting Argentina to the final. Um, I'm going to go with, I'm going to put my English English bias to one side because Bellingham, yeah, they only did get to the... uh, the quarterfinals, I'm going to go for Josco Vardiol. Now, I've no doubt they'll probably pick Alvarez or Fernandez, considering Argentina won the World Cup. And uh, in terms of goal, best goalkeeper, I'm probably going to go for, it's a toss-up, there's three great goalkeepers at this World Cup. Martinez, of course, will probably go on to have won it um, after I've uh, come out of this recording, um, given, obviously the final penalties. Um, I'm going to give it to Lavakovic in terms of, yeah, he had a lot more to do as well. And Martinez did have some superb saves at uh, some pretty clutch moments, at, for example, the extra time period of the final, of course. So he probably does edge it, Martinez, but I'm going to give it to Lavakovic. And Bono deserves a huge shout out as well. Now, in terms of on the best young player, is Josko Vardil, um, by the way. Uh, his defensive work's been absolutely brilliant. Yes, he got uh, turned inside out by Lionel Messi in the semi-finals, but um, I don't think that's any anything to uh, worry about. Most people do, um, after all. And in terms of uh, well, things on a higher note, best match, best goal, I'm going to go for Neymar versus Croatia for the best goal. It was just brilliant. We've seen a lot of good team goals here. This was just a brilliant piece of individualism. And in terms of best match, well, I've not put it on these notes, but but it has to be the final. It just has to be the final. I had five to select 
here and uh, three of them were enormous shocks one we've talked three we've talked about uh, before and Saudi Arabia over over Argentina and Japan over the likes of Germany and Spain in terms of Pure football matches, England versus France from the quarterfinals was great. Spain versus Germany too from the group phase for its drama. Netherlands versus Argentina from the quarterfinals as well. But the final just tops it all. It just blows it all out of the water. And because it is the final as well, it just has that added esteem, doesn't it, really? Um, So that is the World Cup 2022 daily podcast. I am going to retire my daily podcast now. I've done two tournaments. They've both been fantastic. And uh, we have seen the likes of... Italy and Argentina win those finals, both on penalties as well in the final. Um, Maybe it's a coincidence. Um, But yeah, it's been a fantastic uh, experience to cover these day by day. Hopefully you've got some enjoyment, some amusement out of it as well. And uh, I'm going to ride off into the sunset, have a few weeks break for Christmas and uh, be back with some alternate football history videos every day, as always, on YouTube and a little slight change to programming some special videos as well to come but i'll leave that for the new year to announce that so thank you very much for listening for watching for following everything that we've done in this world cup it has been hectic to say the least the past not only the past month but the past six eight weeks in preparation to do this it's been it's been incredible (laughs) it's been i need a sleep so i'll leave you for one last time silly Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.